I still try to figure out how he gets into those pants. <laughs> like for me, that would be what it would be like, right? Why? Well, yeah. Sorry. I just try and I, I wouldn't get into oh. them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, great music. Thanks. Great worship. Um, I brought my big Bible today. I said to Rainer that uh, there's 50 verses, so we, I needed my big Bible to bring it so then I could read it. I, not, I can't get into his pants and neither can I read a Bible anymore. So, Psalm 18. Um, I, I, I focused one time in, in this chapel on the, la, on the verse uh, 19. He brought me in, out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. But I wanted to take another spin on this uh, psalm because I think it's such a critical one. I was asked, uh, David Sherbino is doing some podcasts on spiritual formation. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I drove out to his house and they had all the equipment set up. And we went through a, a, a kind of interview. And at one point in the interview, they asked me if I had ever felt distant from God. Uh, which in some ways is kind of a silly question. I mean, I, I doubt if anybody's ever consistently felt close to God. Um, and as we talked about that, and of course I said, I said everyone experiences that, and especially in their darkest times. But then I said this, but I never stopped believing that God had distanced himself from me. I then went on to explain in those times that the only thing that comforted me in those kinds of times when I felt the distance from God was reading the Psalms. Like I would consistently, I, I can remember in a time in my life, one of the darkest times I thought ministry was over for me. I, I'd, I'd quit the church I was in. They didn't let me go, but I was ready. I quit. I thought it was all over. My life was a mess. And the only thing for six months, while I was absolutely numb emotionally, the only thing that comforted me was reading the Psalms. I mean, especially the Psalms where the guy goes, where the heck are you? I know you're there, but where the heck are you? I'm not feeling it. And I went on to say, that they somehow, the Psalms mirror in, in the most human way our own spiritual experiences of God. And one of the Psalms that always was comforting to me was Psalm 18. Because it always reminded me of who God is. And it's interesting because this is not one of those Psalms of despair. This is like the psalmist in a good mood, if you've read it. Uh, even while he's describing kind of difficult circumstances, there's a, a, a sense of a distant feel uh, to, to the way he's... To, like it's something that's happened in the past. And he's kind of reflecting on it on the other side. But this isn't just a psalm of thanksgiving. Gertzenberger, uh, the, one of the, an Old Testament scholars, says that this psalm is written to keep hope alive in Jewish communities that are experiencing oppression. 
Isn't that interesting? It's, it's almost to help them in the midst of that. A friend of my, uh, mine, uh, we wrote a book together called Going Global. And at one point, he looks at the parables in the same way. He calls them subversive narratives. We've tended to spiritualize them, but he said they're actually subversive narratives, these parables, that only people who were attuned to God or the oppressed and the marginal would really get, and the rich would never really understand it. And this psalm is something like that. It's, it's a subversive narrative in the midst of people who are experiencing oppression. It's kind of saying, ah, oh, God, remember God? He's good. There's hope. And this psalm, once you read it three or four times, because when you first read it, you think it's all about him, the psalmist. But as you read the psalm, all of a sudden you discover it isn't about him at all. It's all about God and his excitement about who God is. There, there's a wonderful flow to this. And if you don't get it, you won't get it in the first reading, but once you read it over and over again, it's like a story that's being told in movements, and each movement increasingly moves deeper as the psalmist moves from a kind of the first 19 verses, which is what I call an executive brief of his experience, to a deeper experience and a deeper kind of expression and storytelling. The first 19 verses are breathless, if you, if you look at them. There's a kind of theme here uh, of, of movement. That's the one. And the first part is verse 1 to 3, which is this intimate burst of praise. It's kind of like he's saying, wow, I love God. Listen to what he says. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I'm saved from my enemies. This is what you are to me, he's saying. He heard me, and he saved me. And then he goes into verse 6, the next part of his executive brief, and he says, let me tell you the story. It was a mess. It was chaos. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't escape, so I prayed. Now, I've read through the commentaries, and I need to say, I actually think Old Testament commentators miss something that is crucial here. I know I hope none of them are here today. <laughs> none of them have written a commentary on this. That's OK. Like, I often sometimes think Old Testament commentators need to get out more. Uh, because there's something missing. This, these four verses, these verses like four to six, are full of rich, faithful faith language about experience that only makes sense in the intimacy of a person who has been in distress and still experiences God. And it's, it's just, it's full of that. It isn't just a description. It's something real to this person. Frederick Buechner says uh, about Jesus when he's on the cross and when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying that Jesus is actually crying out, my God, my God, where in my hell, 
that I'm experiencing right now. Where in my hell are you? And Bikudu then goes on and he says, you see, if you can experience God in your hell, you can experience God anywhere. I think commentators need to get out. The opposite of resting in the promises, a distress, I should say, is not, is not the opposite of resting in the promises. Distress is the raw emotion that finds itself alive and faithful when you know that God is there even when you don't feel it. Knowing God and hearing Him from the distance. There's a person, the person who knows God, God in the silence knows God in that absence, knows God. The next part, I, actually I was going to say, uh, Annie Lamont has this great line about those times. Like she's think, Annie, I don't know if any of you have read Annie Lamont, she's a wonderful writer, and, and she says there's actually only two kinds of prayer. Help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, I realize for you taking spiritual formation, there's all sorts of other kinds of prayers. But, I mean, when you, when you think of it, in, in most experienced faith, a lot of times you help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Carla, my wife, has added another one. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you know? And then he goes to verse 7. And uh, God gets mad. Like, it's kind of fun. Like, this, now he's kind of into the colorful language. Listen to what he says here, because this is, you've got to read this with some amount of humor, because this didn't really happen, but this is what he thinks ha was happening. This is how he describes it. He says, the earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the mountains shook. They troubled. They trembled because he was angry. I love this one. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Can you, you, get, you get the picture? Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. It's this amazingly colorful language of, of how he sees how God entered his moment of pain. I only have one experience like that. My grandfather, who was five foot two and had size five feet, if you can imagine. He died when I was in grade two. But I have this picture of him that is burnt. It's, it's the only picture I have that is so clear in my mind of who he was. He was actually a Baptist preacher in the Maritimes, and they'd come out to visit us in Calgary. And my friend and I had gone out into the field next to our house to play. Uh, and a couple of bullies in the neighborhood followed us and were kind of, I know it's hard to believe a big guy like me gets bullied, but I was a pacifist, so what could you do, eh? Uh, they started to kind of beat up on us. There was a big, tall hill that you had to go over to get into the field. And I remember my grandfather. He came over the hill... Now, see, now, I'm five years old, right? 
smoke rose from his nostrils, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Consuming fire came from his mouth. He parted the heavens and, they, and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim. I, listen, this is what I remember. This little man goes, you boys. He had a deep voice. You boys, that's all I remember. And when I read this, I thought of my grandfather. Uh, this, this powerful experience. Uh, that's why, that's this, this idea that someone who loved you so much, remember, that's why he does this. He comes down. And that's why in verse 16 to 19, the psalmist explains why God is mad. Right? Listen to what he says. He reached down from on high. He took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from a powerful enemy. From my foes who were too strong for me, they confronted me in the days of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. You boys. So much of our hunger, it seems to me, is a hunger for blessing, isn't it? So much of our aching is this ache to be blessed. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to over the years who ache for this. The person who grows up in a family that, that never was ever seen by their parents and, and feels unblessed. The person who just aches for someone to say to them, I love you. So much of our sadness comes from the fact that nobody's ever taken delight and pleasure in us in a non-exploitive way. I mean, when have you last felt that you are someone to someone? Or more importantly, in the midst of those human experiences, when have you felt the knowledge and the reality that God takes pleasure and delight in you, in you? He sees you and he smiles. Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved child in whom I take delight. My father is 92. I always say this when I talk about my family. I didn't grow up in a dysfunctional family, I'm sorry. Uh, because it all, or maybe it was dysfunctional. <laughs> but we had a very healthy balance, Paul. <laughs> you know, even though it was probably dysfunctional. Uh, but, but, but there was a sense in my family uh, growing up uh, that, that I always, I never felt not seen, even though I paddled in very different directions than my family most of the time uh, in rebellion. Uh, I never ever felt uh, missed in the midst of this. My dad is 92 now. Uh, and my mother tells me that he goes to bed at night and keeps her awake for the first half hour as he says, 
I'm so proud of my boys. You know, or he'll come and he'll hear me do something. And he's like, I'm so, you know, we're, I come from a long line of male criers. So he, he'll start crying and then he'll say, I'm so proud of you. I've never not known that. I've never not known that. I've always known that. I've shared the story that when I was playing football in university, my dad found ways to do business trips when I would arrive in a city to play. I'd look up in the stands and my father would be there. Uh, he was a classical musician. It made no sense, you know, but <laughs> there he was, <laughs> you know, in the midst of this. And I need to say this. Um, I have never not known that about God either. I, I, that, that's an audacious statement. I understand that. I've known the distance. I've known the aloneness, not feeling like he was not present. But I think because there have been times in my life, intimate times with God, in which I did understand that he delighted in me that in those darkest times, that was all that I had to hold on to. Now, I realize that's different for everybody. Please understand that. I, when I say never, I think, oh, geez, uh, what are you going to think in the midst of that? Just mark it up as that I'm, I live a very shallow life <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Um, but I can say this. We're not going to get to the other 50 verses, so sorry about that. Uh, the other passage that I always think about when we think of this is that Isaiah 43 passage. Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Now hear this. You are mine. We are his. The only thing that will sustain you in the next years, whether it goes into pastoral ministry or whatever it is, the only thing that will sustain you is a faith that has experienced, not just thought, but experienced the depth of the delight that God has in you. It took me years to understand this. Uh, it took me years not to take it for granted. I think this is the issue for most of us. It's only when you give up trying to earn the love from God that you begin to rest in the love that God has for you. And it's then, when God appears distant, when he feels far away, that you will never doubt his presence. I have called you by name. You are mine. Let's pray. In the midst of who you are, in the midst of what we are doing, 
and in the midst of who you see us to be. Help us to rest. Amen. Go with God, who delights in you.